This time we'll dismiss our children, third grade and below, to Children's Church along with those who are teaching them. And the rest of us are going to talk about being frustrated. We're going to talk about things that frustrate us. Little things frustrate us, like stubbed toes and salesmen. Big things frustrate us, like work, politicians, relationships. But we're going to talk about something on a far greater level of frustration. We're going to be talking this morning about being frustrated by trying to answer the big questions about life. Questions about God, questions about self, questions about why bad things happen, questions about how to be truly happy and to be fulfilled in life. We're going to talk about the extreme frustration that comes from trying to answer those kinds of questions without a Bible. Imagine how frustrating it would be trying to figure out who God is, why He acts the way He acts, who you are, how you fit into this world, what brings true happiness, why do bad things happen, why do bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and trying to answer those kinds of questions with no Bible, with no interpretation of the world you live in from God. And maybe I should put it a little bit different way, but before we do that, why we're doing this is because we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 8 and 9, and that's in essence what Solomon's trying to do. If you imagine that, you're imagining yourself being like Solomon, trying to answer those questions, but no Bible. But maybe I need to alter that a little bit because we have lots of Bibles. Okay, In our country, we have so many Bibles, it's not even funny. And even if you don't have a Bible, you do have a Bible if you have a computer. You have so many translations at your fingertips, it's amazing. So maybe I need to rephrase all of that and say, we're going to talk about the frustration that comes trying to understand the world and its meaning, if you will, without knowledge of the Bible, without a true knowledge of the Bible, without understanding the the Bible's main story, without understanding the big picture. That's frustrating. Solomon is so frustrated in Chapters 8 and 9 of Ecclesiastes, it's not even funny. He's tremendously frustrated because he's trying very hard to answer the big questions by what he can see, by what he can sense, by what he can discover. But apart from an interpretation that comes from beyond the realm of under the sun, to quote him. And I can't tell you how excited I am about frustration today. Sounds pretty sinister, I know. And I have that ability, but that's not where I'm coming from right now. I am thrilled that we're going to talk this morning about being frustrated. Because we live in a world filled with biblical illiteracy. Starting with our own country. We live in a country filled with biblical illiteracy. Therefore, we live in a country filled with people trying to figure out life and answer the big questions about why do bad things happen and who is this God behind it all anyway and what am I here for and how do I make sense of things and they don't know what the Bible says. They might know verses they learned in Awana out of context. They might have a verse a day book or something. Pop culture might give them some verses. 
but they don't have a grasp of what the Bible means by what it says, and therefore they don't have an interpretation of the world that they see other than the one they can come up with. And I'm thrilled about that, not because I love to watch people hit their head against the wall, but because we can help. You can help. We can study Ecclesiastes 8 and 9 and see the frustration, and we can say, we don't have to be frustrated like that. And we can be better equipped to understand the world around us because that's what they're doing, hitting their head against the wall like Solomon. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as an act of love and as an act of grace, we can help. We can shed light on the matter. So I'm thrilled. As a pastor, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to go deep down dark into frustration, to be able to come out on the other end and say, we don't have to be frustrated and we can help people who are frustrated. See what I'm saying? It's not that perverse to be excited about frustration. <laughs> it, it, it so resonates with the world we live in. It's amazing. So five sources of frustration, Ecclesiastes 8 and 9, 35 frustrating verses. Uh, if you take them as a whole, we'll look at both chapters, look at all five sources of frustration so that we can then see the significance of Christ, the significance of having an interpretation from God, uh, having a Bible, if you will. Solomon, I just remind you, uh, seems to be uh, attempting to interpret life and the world around him, including God, uh, without a Bible, without a biblical perspective. And he takes us there for 11 chapters, essentially. And in chapter 12, he talks about the need for a right understanding of God as God has revealed himself not as we've tried to figure him out. So we'll get to there. We'll get to that. But for this morning, we're looking at these frustrations. Source of frustration number one is wisdom. Wisdom. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, he tackles wisdom. He'll talk about knowledge and power, but those are related to wisdom also. And let's jump right in. He starts on a positive note, as he often does. Let's look at chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. What a great positive statement about wisdom. Solomon keeps coming back to those positive statements. You want to go from having a, a grumpy look on your face to having a smile on your face. Wisdom can do it. Wisdom is an amazing thing. But remember, even though he's speaking positively here, he's already made it clear that wisdom Ultimate wisdom is not even attainable. And so he's actually not providing the solution here. He's just warming us up to the idea of the goodness of wisdom before he takes it out at the knees. In fact, you can write in your margin chapter 7, verses 23 to 24, lest we think he's too optimistic. Chapter 7, verse 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. You know, it'll, put a happy, it'll give you a happy face. But it was far from me. Verse 24, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Ultimate, genuine, lasting wisdom that's going to answer the big issues in life is unattainable. And he keeps bringing that up as well. Well, he's going to show us just how wise he is in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5 by giving us some wise advice. Uh, again, before he takes it, uh, takes the rug out from under it. Let's keep going. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. 
Let me give you a piece of advice. You should respect the king and you should do what he says because uh, he's an authority because of God. Verse 3, be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he does whatever he pleases. Verse 4, for the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. That is good advice from a sage from Solomon. Then he says in verse 6, For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. And now we're starting to to, to warm up to the negative in the latter part of verse 6. And so he says in verse 7 now, as as we're all encouraged and, and tempted to read Ecclesiastes as if it's Proverbs. And by the way, just be careful with Ecclesiastes. And while we're at it, be careful with Job. A lot of times we quote verses out of context in Job and we think it's actually the good advice and then you find out when you read the whole thing, it's bad advice. Just be really careful, you know. Same kind of thing here. That's all great advice, but that's not the ultimate aim. It's it's not the ultimate. Because look at verse 7. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? That's interesting because in verse 5 he talked about that you'll know the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. And then there's a time for everything in verse 6. But then in verse 7, for he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? And, and I can almost hear those earlier sections in Ecclesiastes where Solomon's very frustrated because God has kept things from us so that we can't know things. Wisdom is not going to be the ultimate solution. In fact, wisdom, as good as it is, is frustrating to Solomon because it's not answering the big questions. It's it's not giving him the knowledge he needs to have that he wants to have. The same goes for power in verse 8. No man has power to retain the spirit. Talk about limitations. You, You can't create life or power over the day of death. You can't stop death. There is no discharge from war nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. He's, he's cataloging or he's mentioning some, some human limitations. Wisdom is great. People travel from other continents to come and listen to me speak because I am world famous as a sage, as a wise man, as a teacher. But he, and he gives us some wisdom and then he says, but listen, while it gives me great power, Power has its limits. Can't stop death. Certain things you can't do. And by the way, that's been one of those things that's just been haunting him. The death matter. Wisdom is not the solution because it doesn't give you ultimate power. Verse 9 then says, All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. He's spoken like this before. He's been passionately pursuing answers. And then he says, when man had power over man to his hurt. I'm in this broken world and I'm wise and I'm passionately trying to answer the hard questions and figure out the whys behind things. And and I can't do it. I can't do it. Wisdom is not the answer. Power is not the answer. Think of the most powerful person you can imagine. And they won't be the most powerful for long because they'll die. 
the wisest person you can imagine. They won't be the wisest for long. Because they don't have ultimate power. We're reminded of this. And if we're honest, it's frustrating. Because in the short term, it seems to give you everything. I'm reminded of this. You're reminded of this. I'm reminded of, of, of human power as amazing as it is and human wisdom as amazing as it is being limited. I'm reminded every time I type a single keystroke on my MacBook Air. I'm reminded every time I listen to music on my iPod. I'm reminded every time I send or receive a text on my iPhone. Changed our culture, changed our world. Steve Jobs, very, very powerful man. And very, very dead. This is frustrating. If you don't have a Bible to make sense of the world around you or an understanding of what the Bible means by what it says, if you don't have an interpretation from beyond the, what we can observe, you say, what a deal this is. This is frustrating. You can have that much knowledge, that much power, that much influence, but eventually you die. I would encourage you to, be, to, have, to have empathy. I would encourage you to, to not only have sympathy, but to have empathy, to be able to put yourself in, in the shoes in, uh, of others and try to relate to them, people who don't have a knowledge of the Bible, though they might have ten Bibles in their house. It, it, it's the normal thing to do to be frustrated. I want answers. I don't have answers. Maybe I do in the short run, but... The obituary comes. This so resonates with life as it always has been. Don't be mad at people who don't have answers. Have empathy. And say, I get it. The wisest man on the planet during his lifetime felt the same way. Ugh! You know? Frustration. By the way, when we're done with Ecclesiastes, if I keep doing that, just send me a nice note. <laughs> I don't know how many, every single week it's, you know, U-G-H in my notes. I don't even know if that's how you spell it. But that's the tenor, that's the sense. And that's, that would be normal if you don't have something from beyond the under-the-sun world. You're trying to interpret life. Even our heroes don't stay heroes because they don't have ultimate power. I'm thrilled about Ecclesiastes 8 and 9 because it's helping us to understand. Let's move on now to a second source of frustration, and that is justice. Maybe we should say injustice because that's really what frustrates us. This is chapter, 10, excuse me, chapter 8, verses 10 to 15. Second source of frustration that helps us understand the world in which we live is injustice or justice or lack thereof. He starts general, gets specific. Uh, he throws in some positive and gives some negative, but it ends negatively. Look what it says in verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried 
They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. This is frustrating to me. Religious people who are actually hypocrites and people praise them, that's not right. And we can relate. We can totally relate. Your neighbor can relate to to saying, well, how, how does this work? That doesn't seem fair or right. That doesn't seem just. Then he goes on in verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. This frustrates us. People get away with crimes and it just leads to more crimes. We need, we need justice in this world and we don't have it. Okay. Uh, we, we can relate to what he's saying here, why he's frustrated. Now, he gives a little bit of resolve, a little bit of positive here, but that's not going to last very long. Verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. That's a good statement. What's interesting is he, he actually is going to waver from that statement. Uh, it, it's, it's like he comes to his senses momentarily, and then he's going to walk away from that. He's not committed to that. That's by observation only. That's not by, by biblical revelation. It seems like it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out okay in the end because of God. But let's keep going. Verse 13. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Again, that, that, those are true statements. But he's not actually settled in his convictions that they're actually true. He wants to believe those things. He wants to believe, uh, by way of principle, crime doesn't pay. But in reality, sometimes it does. And he's going to go there. Now, you might say, well, I have a better understanding, and ultimately it doesn't. Yeah, that's right, but that's not where he's going because he doesn't have your Bible. The bottom drops out now. Look at verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. There's this futility that causes me frustration that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this, that this also is vanity. Extremely frustrating. Good people have bad things happen to them. And bad people have good things happen to them. And this is extreme vanity. This is not right. What kind of world is this? Am I, am I doing a good job communicating frustration to you? I'm trying with all my might. Might be getting tired because I did the first hour too, but I'm trying. He's extremely frustrated. What kind of world is this? Good people have bad things happen. Bad people have good things happen. This is frustrating. And this is the frustration that your neighbor feels and senses. Even when you try to talk to them about God things. And if you don't realize that, it's because you spend way too much time alone. Okay, You're not plugged into the world around you. Time and time and time again, when I have conversations, casual or otherwise, with people who are not Christians, this is a major, if not the major, beef they have. How could God, if there is a God, allow these bad things happen to these innocent people, they might say? 
And how could God, your God, if there is a God, have these thugs getting away with their thuggery? The amazing thing is, if you have a Christian worldview, you have a biblical understanding of life, you've heard from God himself to interpret the world that we live in, including its brokenness, you have an answer. And you can explain. And it's an amazing thing. And we'll talk more about that. But this is so resonating with how people have always been thinking when they don't have biblical thinking. He comes now again to this, we'll talk more about that, but he comes to this common resolve that keeps coming up in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Look at verse 15. And, and And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. He's not, this is not his ultimate solution. He keeps coming back to this because it's what you settle for. You know what? At this point in time, I can't make sense of the injustice in the world and I can't make heads or tails of it. So I guess in the end, what I'll do is pop a cold one, pop the lid off a cold one and let's have a party. Let's do our best to be comfortably numb. To quote Pink Floyd in a sermon at Omaha Bible Church on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Might as well. I mean, it seems to be the way to deal with it. Because we're not going to be able to come to any better solution than that. As we pursue everything under the sun to give us an answer. Solomon's saying, trust me, I've tried. And my credentials are far better than yours. As I've been saying week in and week out, this is not a word to the wise. This is a word from the wise. We're desperate. Again, I suggest to you a good measure, a good dose of empathy. As you work with, talk to, love, engage people around you, Don't be mad at him for this. The smartest guy on the planet when he lived came to this conclusion. I mean, in a sense, they're just being really, they're they're being pretty smart. Because if you don't have answers from beyond the realm of under the sun, this is the conclusion you come to. They're not stupid for coming to those conclusions. They're not stupid for being frustrated. In a sense, they're being wise. Not Ultimately wise, but you have answers. You can explain why bad things happen. You can. If you understand the, the, the bigger storyline of the Bible, which I want to say more about at the end, but if you, if you understand something about God being the creator, the God who has good and just laws, the God who has fair consequences for violating his laws, now you understand, now there's human rebellion, which brings suffering, which brings pain, which brings death. 
You understand something of this God being gracious and providing a solution himself through a redeemer that's promised very early on in the earliest chapters of Genesis. And you have a God who through that redeemer promises reconciliation, not only between sinners and God and sinners and sinners, but ultimate reconciliation of everything that is broken in the universe to come to its fullness and fruition at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just gave you the drama. I just gave you the big picture. I just gave you the big story. You have answers. But they don't have answers. The closest thing they've come to an answer is someone has told them that they're special, significant, uh, and, and good, and so God had his son Jesus die for them. And that's about as helpful as getting hit by a two by four. That just confuses the matter. How does that solve pain and suffering in the here and now? How does that solve uh, anything in the here and now if you don't give me some explanation? I'm so motivated to want to be more understanding. I've heard somebody else talk like you is what I want to be thinking. His name is Solomon. Let me help you understand injustice and ultimate coming justice. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking of Revelation where the the saints are saying, how long, oh Lord, you know, how long are you going to let this happen? Not because it's going to happen forever, but because they all know by then as they're in heaven, a lot more sanctified than we are, that it's not going to go on. We understand Romans chapter eight, that there is actually going to be ultimate reconciliation with everything. Something of the patience of God and we can help people in understanding bigger picture. Let's move on now to a third source of frustration. The third source of frustration is behind all of these, really, but the third source of frustration is God. Chapter 8, verses 16 to chapter 9, verse 3. Verse 16 says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, We've been sensing this from Solomon already. He's given himself passionately, tenaciously, fervently to understand, to answer those big questions that have been asked for for so long and keep uh, being asked today that he doesn't even sleep at night. Verse 17, then I saw all the work of God. And you want to say, oh yeah, here's the solution. That's it. No, keep reading. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. We, we can't understand what he's doing. This is so frustrating. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. He's so frustrated. I'm trying my best. I don't sleep at night over this one and I can't understand the mystery of God. I can't understand. I believe that there is a God, but what in the world is he doing? And then we get to chapter nine. Chapter nine has been called the most pessimistic of the whole cha- of the whole book. So you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. <laughs> and why am I thrilled about it? I'm thrilled about it because I want us to understand beating heads against the wall even better. Because it puts us in a great place to help. You might be beating your head against the wall, and this is helpful for you first and foremost. 
Let's keep going. Ecclesiastes 9.1 But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Verse 2 It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the one, as the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. Verse three is the ultimate downer. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. And what is the event? Let's stop there. They die. They die, they die, they die. And who's behind, as he calls it, evil? When you read the whole, uh, that whole series of verses, the one who's behind it all, according to verse 1, according especially to verse 1, God is. You want to know who my beef is? with really Solomon is saying it's none other than God he frustrates me this seems so wrong everybody dies what's the what's the deal there's the person over here who seems to me to be a good person and he gets cancer and dies just like the person over here who, who I know he does wrong things I see them him do it and I hear him do it and, and he, he gets cancer and he dies This is evil. What kind of God is this? Is what he's expressing. I would hate to be quoted out of context. This could be real interesting um, editing done. God's behind it all. He's frustrated. Once again, as he's extremely upset, I'm, I'm calling as... as as your pastor for empathy. I'm not saying he's right. Or this is appropriate. This is the road that a wise man goes down. If he doesn't have a Bible. If he doesn't have a biblical understanding of why bad things happen in this world. And so when I meet people who are frustrated with such things. I can understand that they're not the first person to be like this. I can understand they're not ignorant. Maybe they're ignorant of God. They could be the smartest person around. They need revelation from God beyond general revelation. They need to understand Let's be compassionate with people like that. I don't mind having them beat their head against the wall. I think it's actually a good idea. Because they're desperate. But we can help desperate people. Number four, real quick, we'll just do this one with half a verse. People 
source of frustration is people. Verse uh, 3 ends with this. The latter part of verse 3, he's frustrated with people. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Now, while we're at it, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying what God does is evil, I'll say that people are evil too. It's kind of interesting. He doesn't elaborate. It's just like us. <laughs> you know, maybe in our honest moments, we'll say that, you know what, people are part of the problem too. Um, we put the emphasis on God. It'd be pretty normal for us, but he's, he's right. He's on to something here. Even by naked eye observation, he sees that people are problematic. But he puts most of the emphasis on God, it seems. We're so good at this, right? Starting with our great example, Adam. God, it's the woman who you gave me. Ultimately, blame goes to God. But once again, you have answers as to why people frustrate us and why people are evil. You understand people aren't inherently good. You understand that people aren't born good. If you're a Christian with a biblical understanding, you understand that we are depraved. You understand that mankind is dead in trespasses and sins, as Ephesians chapter 2 says. You understand that people are wicked from inside because that's what Jesus said. You understand that even when Christ came to give himself up for us, he did so while we were yet sinners, while we were yet spiritual rebels. You understand that. But you understand that because you have a Bible. Oh no, you understand that because you've had your Bible open. And you have somewhat of a biblical understanding of things. We want to help people understand. We want to help people understand. We can say far more than Solomon did here. And then finally, the final source of frustration, we've already talked about it, but the final one he emphasizes is death. It's death. Chapter 9, verses 4 to 12, and then he'll end on a, a wise statement. <clears throat> Look at verse 4, what he says here. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. Relatively speaking is what he's going to be getting at. That you have relative hope when you're alive. Then he says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. I haven't said that lately to people in natural in normal conversation. <laughs> Probably, but it makes sense. Especially if you're, you're royalty, you're, you're, you're someone like Solomon. And you've sent people from all over the world to bring back all sorts of things for you and your kingdom. And, and you have prized possessions. And you know what? You've got a lion. King of the jungle. Came from Africa. Amazing. But the lion doesn't do much good dead. So better to have a live dog than a dead lion. Anyway, it seems to be the idea. Um, the point is pretty straightforward. Life is better than death. Even if you're... Not having the best life. At least it's better than being dead. And here's why. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, verse 6 says, and their hate and their envy have already perished. So all these emotions, some good, some bad, they, they don't have any of them. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. 
death is the bad deal. And so again, he, he says what he says so often. Verse 7, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with a wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. How about that? Happy Valentine's, honey. Ecclesiastes out of context. <laughs> you know, that's just how we use the Bible. You know, you just quote part of it. Hallmark to show you care. <laughs> You know, he's saying something positive. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your wife. Why? Because your life is short and it sucks to die. Send only the best. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is, this is a real downer. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain, all the days of your, your futile, worthless life that he, that he notices he's on the God thing again, that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in the grave, to which you are, are you know, going. Oh. Yeah, work hard, enjoy life, have a good time because uh, you're going to be pushing up the daisies pretty soon anyway. And then no matter what you've had in this life, you'll have zero. Verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. And according to context, God is behind it all. Death is frustrating. It's very frustrating. And you know, even in an unbelieving funeral, when they say things like, well, at least we know she's in a better place now. If you're an unbeliever, that's a pretty stupid thing to say. And I'm purposely using the word stupid. Opposite of wise. The wisest man on the planet didn't come to that conclusion when he didn't have a Bible. He said, when you die, you got nothing. Now, I'm not for being rude and inappropriate all the time, <laughs> at the wrong time. But I would be all for talking to someone who would say such a thing, maybe outside of the heat of the moment, and say, well, why, why did you say that? In a better place? Based upon, what have you observed in this world? with your eyes, your senses, what have you observed in this world that would lead you to the conclusion that when you die, things are better? 
Nothing. So let's just be honest. In fact, the wisest person to live when he was alive didn't say, well, at least they're in a better place. He said, you should live life to the fullest in the here and now because when you die, it's all over. You see, what happens is even the unbeliever borrows. If you want to put it negatively, they steal from the Christian worldview to try to make themselves feel better. But they haven't observed these things with their senses. And you say, that's kind of mean-spirited. No, it's not mean-spirited at all. I'm just trying to say, let's be desperate. What we need desperately is not our musings about the world around us and our interpretations and our musings about God and what's right and what's fair and what's not. What we so desperately need is something from beyond the realm of under the sun. We need God to speak for Himself and interpret the world in which we live. That's what we need. And then we can make sense of things. That's what Solomon needs. He's going to end there in chapter 12 when he talks about God's revelation of himself in his commandments. He's going there. But in the meantime, he's very, very frustrated and appropriately so. I want to say just a little bit more about that, but let's end the way he ends first and then we'll come uh, to the conclusion. He ends with some positive statements about wisdom. As he keeps coming back to uh, these statements, he's going to give us another one. Verse 13, he tells a little tale. He tells a little proverb. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Great statement. Great little story. Great proverb. Reminding us again that he's a smart guy. He's a sage. He's a wise person. Remember, though, wisdom isn't the solution. It's kind of odd and peculiar that he keeps doing this. But he does. But he does. Maybe showing us again that that he is the wise one. He knows what he's talking about. He's the guy that wrote that kind of wise statement. He's also the same guy who's frustrated with God frustrated with death, justice, and even wisdom itself. Think about how frustrating life would be if you didn't have a Bible, if you didn't have knowledge of the Bible. I'm frustrated enough in life by other things. But I don't need to be frustrated about the big things You don't need to be frustrated either because you can understand. You can understand the bigger picture of things, not just Bible verses here and there. Oh, by the way, remember, Bible verses here and there in Ecclesiastes would get you in a lot of trouble. Not just Bible verses here and there, but understanding God's great 
drama of redemption, understanding that God has spoken and he's made sense of the world in which we live. Equip yourself, get equipped, get equipped through the ministry of the church, be able to give answers, be able to help people. What's amazing is God's revelation centers upon and culminates with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just having a Bible with Bible answers central to the whole thing ends up being God's son anticipated in the earliest chapters of Genesis and going all the way to the book of Revelation. In that sense, Jesus is the answer. Just think in basic terms with me for a moment. Let me show you how much of an answer you have that your friends may not have. Your friends who maybe are in church right now might not have. Start with God. God is the creator. That's a basic reality. God creates. Then what? He creates and he, because he's God, has laws. Good laws, righteous laws, fair laws, laws that, that, that reflect his godness and, and our creatureliness. And, and he also has just fair consequences for violation of those laws. And then we have rebellion against God. I'm not giving you seminary stuff, am I? This is the stuff that children's church is doing right now. But this is the kind of stuff you need to know to be able to communicate basic revelation to people. Biblical revelation to explain why bad things happen. Then we move on. So now we have rebellion. Now we have all under the wrath of God fairly. Now we have understanding of why there is suffering in this world and why there is pain in this world. That goes back to that just, fair, creator, righteous God who said that's how it would be when there's rebellion. There's been rebellion. Now we have this mess that we're living in that we ourselves created. He, God is keeping true to his promises. You're, you're, you're making tons of sense out of this that your friend's not making any sense out of it. But don't just give them, you know what, Jesus thinks you're special. Because then it's totally confused. So then we go from there to having redemption. We have this God who from you know, the earliest times, we would know before the foundation of the world, has a plan that's going to center in his son, Jesus, the Redeemer. Anticipated, promised throughout the entire narrative, throughout the entire storyline of the Bible. And then what do we have? We have Jesus giving himself to atone for our sins because all along from the very beginning, since rebellion, the wages of sin is death. Jesus dies a substitutionary atoning death. The just for the unjust. Jesus rises again from the dead. Not only that, Jesus provides reconciliation. So now we can be reconciled to this God whom we have offended. We can have reconciliation with each other. But not only that, in reconciliation, the Bible also teaches there's ultimate reconciliation with everything in the entire universe. I'm thinking of the book of Revelation. I'm thinking of Romans chapter 8, other texts. You have answers because you have a Bible. And if you have a basic understanding of that Bible, you certainly have answers. And you say, well, I wouldn't want to tell anybody that stuff. They'd think I was just giving them Sunday school stuff. They don't know Sunday school stuff. They don't know the very most basic things about a Christian worldview. They're still thinking God helps those who help themselves. And they think it's in the Bible. They are so confused it's not even funny god helps those who help themselves nothing could be further from christianity than that statement it's ludicrous it's pagan but they think it's in the bible 
be willing to know the Bible well enough to make it that simple. That's why I tell people all the time, I was just in the bookstore today saying, you, an adult, should buy the big picture story Bible. Because at least then you might understand the big picture. This is an awesome, awesome opportunity we have to understand God's revelation of himself, to understand it with Jesus Christ being central to it all, and to be able to communicate it in simple terms, not making assumptions. We just dare not make the assumptions. Just to be clear, what I wasn't suggesting is you need a Bible so you can know biblical principles to live by. Solomon knew lots of biblical principles to live by, and that's not what he calls upon. How about that? When I'm saying, hey, wouldn't it be tough to live your life without a Bible? Because then you wouldn't be able to understand all of these good principles for Christian living. I'm not trying to suggest there aren't good principles for Christian living, but just hear me out. All around our country this morning are biblical principles for Christian living being taught. A lot of wisdom is being given, even biblical wisdom. Missing the whole point of it all. And I think Solomon would be the first one to object and say, stop that. Stop that. I could have given biblical principles for a living coming out of my nose. They need to understand the revelation of God. They need to understand not just common sense principles for a living. That's important. They need to understand God's revelation of himself to make sense of this world that they live in that is broken and hurting. And ultimately, they need to understand wisdom personified. They need to understand the ultimate revelation. They need to understand the Lord Jesus Christ who makes sense of it all. So let's be part of the solution. Starting with ourselves and opening up our mouths and speaking to others, not pridefully, not arrogantly, But with the answer, you know why bad things happen. And you know the solution. And you know where the world's headed. And you know that it has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said that we're to do this until he comes again? He could say that for a lot of reasons, but even built in that statement should be a reminder to us. The one who reconciles all things through himself to himself and that he's going to bring all that to fruition and fulfillment when he returns is a built-in reminder. It's a built-in reminder that we understand and we have a solution to the mess that the world's in. Let it be a reminder to us today. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you you've given us your holy law that convicts us, that shows us that we're desperate in need of redemption. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is the ultimate revelation of God. We're grateful that we do have Bibles. We're grateful that we're seeking to understand the Bible and, and, the, and the story that it gives We're grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his perfect, righteous life that he gave himself up for us to provide perfect atonement, that he rose again from the dead as 
the great victor. And we're grateful that he's promised to come again. And we know that he will based upon what he's already done. As we eat the bread, as we drink the wine, may we remember Christ in his greatness. May we worship him in Jesus' name. Amen.